Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. I am Father Gregory Pine, and uh, joining here from Switzerland, and we've got Father Jacob Bertram Janzik from Washington, D.C., Father Patrick Mary Briscoe from Providence, and this is our first penitential season Lexio. That's a controversial claim because Advent, some would say, is not a penitential season. We've chosen that it is a penitential season. We won't defend that claim. We'll just assert it. And during these penitential seasons, we thought we'd offer the opportunity to meditate more on the readings for Sunday, which we started right during Coronatide and then uh, stopped at Pentecost. So here we'll pick it back up again. Uh, we hope that you enjoy it and benefit from it. But um, Advent, Advent is upon us. Well, by the time that you're listening to this, live recording. Uh, Advent is here. So uh, things in Providence. Father Patrick, what's, uh, what's Advent look like at Providence College? What's Advent look like in the state of Rhode Island? Well, one of the things that's great about being in a ministry um, of education, right, is the semester winds down. Ministry of Education, that sounds like a government <laughs> department. <laughs> one of the things about starting an educational apostolate is that uh, the semester winds down and it it helps in the spiritual life, right? So if you're a teacher or a student, um, you understand what this is like, how the rhythm of the year helps prepare you for the rest and festivity of the holidays, right? Um, I mean, every worker needs this. It needs just days of rest and longs for them. I think especially uh, the, the pandemic situation has aggravated this and people need days of rest and feasting even more. But um, the rhythms of the school year have always helped me to celebrate um, with more Vim and vigor, uh, nice. both the penitential season and the feasts that follow upon it. Oh, uh, yeah. Vim and vigor. We are off to a good start. Um, so, Father Jacob Bertrand, uh, in Washington, D.C., private gatherings of up to two and a half people are permitted. So, you'll be having Christmas in 28 separate groups at the House of Studies. Is that what I understand? That's right. I saw this <clears throat> this great meme um, online the other day, and it had had this woman lying on the floor in a dress at the same pattern as the carpet, and it said something like, "When the police come to raid your ten person Thanksgiving celebration," <laughs> <laughs> like camouflage. And then I saw another one that was Norman Rockwell's like Thanksgiving, you know that famous Thanksgiving painting where the turkey's being laid on the table, and underneath it just said it, it said like radical radical extremist or something like that. There were more than ten people in the picture, so that's uh that's who we are and what we're doing at the House of Studies. But now Advent, in many ways, like as as Father Patrick just described, is is similar here at the House of Studies too, because we operate on an on an academic schedule, so we kind of. Well, I'm not a student and I'm not a professor, but the students and the professors for the first couple of weeks of Advent are wrapping up the semester. But then we have a couple weeks or a week and a half before Christmas to to really kind of take a step back from the work and dive into the into the season and uh, yeah, be together, pray together, uh, that sort of thing. The between Thanksgiving and and Christmas. I guess which is Advent uh, is is kind of a, a great <laughs> the a church great has a word to, for that. Is <laughs> really it's kind of it's it's a lot of fun to be to be at the House of Studies uh, for those reasons. So yeah, boom, excellent. And uh, all right, we um, are going to just proceed as we have in the past by reading readings and sharing kind of homiletic thoughts, uh, not so as to just kind of put forward interesting details or use. Greek word tricks, as we refer to them sometimes, you know, like in the New Testament, Greek, it says this as a way to just kind of like impress, because let's be honest, none of us are that impressive. Um, but rather just to, to a, well, Father Jacob Bertrand's impressive. 
I can speak for myself. I'll just say I'm not impressive, but I'll move on. Um, so uh, as to put forward some, some things for your own prayer, basically. The idea here is contemplation. The idea is to, to look at the Lord, uh, to know him more perfectly, love him more ardently. So uh, it's with that intent that we proceed. So we'll, we'll go then to our first reading, uh, Father Jacob Berger. <clears throat> A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. O Lord, you are our Father, our Redeemer, you are named forever. Why do you let us wander, O Lord, from your ways, and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. O that you would rend the heavens and come down, with the mountains quaking before you, while you wrought awesome deeds we could not hope for, such as they had not heard of from of old. No ear has ever heard, no eye ever seen any God but you doing such deeds for those who wait for him. Would that you might meet us doing right, that we were mindful of you in our ways. Behold, you are angry and we are sinful. All of us have become like unclean people. All of our good deeds are like polluted rags. We have all withered like leaves and our guilt carries us away like the wind. There is none who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to cling to you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us up to your guilt. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you the potter. We are all the work of your hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The French poet and playwright Paul Claudel loves the book of Isaiah. He loves the prophet Isaiah. He loves all of the prophets, but he especially loves Isaiah. Claudel loves the prophets because he says that only the poet, only the poet can understand prophecy and only the poet can love um, what, what the prophet teaches. But when he begins his exegetical, com exegetical commentary on the book of the prophet Isaiah, he begins by saying, the book of Isaiah is an explosion. And I think that's part of what we, what we feel here. That's what, I, that's what I felt when I was praying over this reading. This book is an explosion. These words are an explosion because so much of my recent experience is just mapped out on the page here. I feel like God is far. I wonder, like, is it my, is it my ways? Is it my sinfulness that has driven him from me? I've asked, why is God hiding his face? And in the middle of those deep um, difficulties, in the middle of those sufferings, I find myself proclaiming again, but wait a minute. No eye has ever heard, no ear, uh, no eye ever seen, sorry, no ear ever heard the deeds that God has done, right? In the middle, in the middle of my sorrow, like I constantly find the greatness of God at work, and I find myself repeating it, not just, not just because it's a rote memory, but because my actual experiences of God have sustained me in the difficult times. And this is a narrative for what the prophet Isaiah is teaching the people of Israel, that Though God may seem far from you, remember his works. Remember the good that he has done for you. Look forward to his continued fulfillment of his promises. This God is not the God um, that abandons his people. This is the God who will continue to work great things for you. This is how the um, pericope we listen to today ends. O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you the potter. We are all the work of your hands. It's God's providence who is ordaining, arranging, directing all of these things like the potter. Um, the image of the potter is so beautiful in scripture because it reminds us of God, the creator, who first 
fashion man and woman out of the dust of the earth who who made us um and it's this god that directs us and though we might be tossed about um like a boat in stormy seas we we know we believe we hope we profess again and again and again that this this is the god who is arranging our lives and who is directing us and who is doing something great again for us so as we hear these words of the prophet Isaiah, let us be mindful of the ways of God, who is our father, the one who has created us, the one who continues to direct and sustain us and who orders our lives according to the designs and glories of his providence. So I think in, um, you know, the Old Testament, it's, it's not often that we hear God spoken of as father. And I guess it's, uh, it's a name that we've become so accustomed to by listening to the New Testament. So... I think I read it at one point that in the Gospel of John, the Lord refers to his father or the father something like 115 or 120 times. Whereas in the Old Testament, as concerns direct references, it might only be like 10 or 12. So to hear God referred to as father for us in the Old Testament, on the one hand, <clears throat> you know, it seems totally in keeping with what we encounter in the New, but it's also striking because it's not how the Old Testament authors typically choose to communicate as inspired by God. So like, I don't know, I mean, for me, just a kind of little thing on which to meditate is this idea that God is Father. And, um, you know, like the book of the prophet Isaiah. So typically you have it divided into three sections. And this last section is um, a section of people dealing with their disappointment. So after the exile, after the return to the land, they've seen it destroyed, their walls torn down, the temple in ruins. They've begun to rebuild, but with the discovery that things will never again be as they were. And so they have to move on beyond their nostalgia. Uh, they have to move towards something future, but something that's ill-defined, something that remains as yet uh, to be realized. And that's a terrible prospect. But yet the book of the prophet Isaiah is just filled with hope about a future that... Um, in which God will show himself provident. And I think that's what, you kind of, that's what you kind of get in the description of God as Father, that he is provident, right? That he sees, he knows, and he loves his children. And though we are in the grips of difficult and trying circumstances, and oftentimes we have occasion to question whether or not he sees and knows and loves, yet he continues to reaffirm that relationship in, in, in mighty deeds, right? Uh, but also in simple, small ways that may be torturous, that may be painful, uh, that may be boring for whatever reason. So I think, yeah, just to have this idea before our mind's eye that God is Father, that God knows us, and that God loves us, and that we can rely upon Him to provide us with every good and perfect gift, uh, every good and perfect gift that we need to draw close to Him. I think when when I was, well, when I was reading the reading this passage from Isaiah for the first time, I had to go back and uh, look up. I didn't remember exactly when, as Father Gregory said, the book of Isaiah is divided into three sections and I didn't remember the chapter division. So I knew this was obviously later in the book and assumed that it was in this third part of the book of Isaiah during during the period of restoration. Um, and, and understanding that makes a lot of sense because as Father Gregory just explained, the Israelites had returned, um, were, were released from their captivity uh, and were faced with a a totally uncertain and unsure future. And I think quickly um, the, the Israelites realized that no matter 
what their efforts were to kind of rebuild what was or rebuild or to build what will be or what would be, um, that their efforts alone would not suffice. And the more and more that they began to rely on themselves to rebuild um, their world and their country and their temple, the more and more they began to turn away from God back to that idolatry. And this is precisely what Isaiah is lamenting and, and, and calling the people to recognize that it's not it's not human effort that is going to to bring about salvation. It's not human effort that is going to bring about our uh, our recreation in God. And this was true for the Israelites in their return after the captivity, after their captivity in Babylon. It's true um, for us. I think this year has has shown this to be the case that it's you know in the in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of political chaos and confusion and all of this that it's it's not a human fix. We can't simply just try harder to make things better. And it's you know in this season of Advent, it's it's true. For, for ourselves, in our own lives, in our souls, that it's, it's not simply trying harder or doing better that is going to bring us closer to God, going to heal us, going to restore us, but it's relying on the Father, renewing our hope that God is uh, renewing, our, renewing us by his grace and by his love and, and, and the love and the grace that only a Father can offer us. I think Isaiah offers us the, the hope and the ability to call upon God for this. Just to, to say a little prayer, even if, Lord, I don't know what will happen or what's going on, but I trust in you. Those acts of hope, those acts of faith conform us to him and they're, you know, they move us closer to him. I think Isaiah is, is a great reminder here, um, as he was for the Israelites, as he is in our sort of secular world, but also in our own spiritual life as we head into the, into the season of Advent. With that, we'll uh, pass on to the second reading, Father Patrick. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always on your account for the grace of God bestowed on you in Christ Jesus, that in him you were enriched in every way with all discourse and all knowledge. As the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you firm to the end, irreproachable on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and by him you are called to fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians is divided into you know, kind of big chunks or sections. Uh, and this first chunk or section is Paul uh, inveighing against or kind of laying into the church at Corinth for its many excesses. Uh, specifically, they're tolerating somebody who has um, committed acts of sexual license of a peculiarly terrible sort. Uh, and Paul will subsequently pass on to, you know, like the different members of the body. You know, some are called to be virgins, some are called to be married. And then he'll describe you know, the different spiritual gifts at work in the church, and then kind of end with the description of resurrection. So it's interesting that he begins with this kind of opening gambit uh, in which he commands the goodwill of those to whom he addresses himself. And I think um, 
maybe just to kind of put this in the context of Advent, Advent is difficult in a certain sense because it's a time of anticipation and expectation. And a lot of us uh, have the experience of Christmas as being disappointing. So I think if you were to ask a lot of people who have been through a, crew, uh, through, uh, through a few Christmas tides, um, you'll find that um, they prefer Christmas Eve to Christmas, right? Because you have lots of expectations as concerns Christmas, but when then Christmas rolls around, oftentimes it's not what you thought it would be. Father Patrick's face right now is just devastated. He just looks so upset that I have spoken ill against Christmas. Big sad. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking out of my own melancholy nihilism. But um, let's just say that this has been my experience, and I've discovered at least a couple other people in the world for whom it's also true. Right? So, so Advent has a lot of promise, right? Think about those people who are at uh, ministries of education, as Father Patrick would put it. Um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, you know, like the people who are like, I'm going to make a good Advent, and then final season rolls around. And then from the middle of the first week till the end of the second week, you just get laid low and you don't actually follow through on anything that you're resolved to do for the entirety of Advent. And what's the point in kind of picking that back up for the remaining 10 days? So it's, it's a season that oftentimes we find... Um, you know, kind of jumbled, a little bit stressful, scattered, yada, yada. Okay. So let's then apply this to the Corinthian context. Paul is about to correct them for their sins, but then to build them up in uh, their kind of self-understanding as a church and also the proclamation of the resurrection, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So rather than beginning with like, this thing is going to be rough, this thing is going to be terrible, he speaks to them of thanksgiving. He speaks to them of the God who is present, the God who loves them, the God who bestows on them every good and perfect gift. Uh, So he says, you know, the grace of God bestowed on you in Christ Jesus, that in him you are enriched in every way with all discourse and all knowledge. And for us, this should frame our own approach to the present season and to the future, that though there may be things in store which we would rather avoid uh, or details that are unsavory, yet we have to be cognizant and recollected in the spirit of thanksgiving. Um, because the grace of God goes before us and the gift of God underwrites whatever it is that we strive to do. And to do so with the cognizance that he will be firm, he, he will keep you firm, excuse me, to the end, irreproachable on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's something that Father Jacob Bertrand often repeats uh, in his preaching and then in these conversations that it's God's work, right? It's God's work. Hey, I was trying to command your goodwill there by giving you a little shout out. You're like, yeah, that was, that was nice. You mentioned me. I respect that. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, and and, and <laughs> the author, St. Paul, does the same thing here. And it kind of warms the cockles of our heart as we go into a time which, which may prove difficult. Um, he's like, no, then you mentioned the cockles of the heart. And then I was, then I was off board again. Okay. So, um, so it's in this spirit that we begin the season. Cognizant, yes, difficulties are in store, but that God proves himself faithful and that we can, um, we can trust in that. That line that he will keep you firm to the end is is what stuck out to me in reading uh, in reading this passage uh, of Saint Paul, and um, immediately I thought, of course, of the grace of perseverance, uh, that that grace that that virtue of perseverance that falls under the virtue of fortitude to sort of have courage to to withstand, and the the grace of perseverance in particular helps us to persist. Um, in an effort or persist in something over a long period of time. And and like we were talking about with the first reading, and as Father Gregory was just saying, this this sort of idea or notion of kind of persisting is something that requires human effort. It does require our um, our cooperation and action in that. We can't just sort of sit and, and become kind of, I don't know, uh, 
like like robots that waiting for the Lord to control us. We do have to act and cooperate with His grace. But it is the case that our that that the virtues and that these graces to persevere that He will keep us firm to the end. He will He will strengthen us to persevere, not just to persevere through. Um, through kind of the daily things or this kind of season or this whatever, but to persevere unto death, to be with him unto death. And that's, that's a beautiful grace that he gives us. Um, and uh, the season of Advent is, is a time to remember that, that our Lord is, that our Lord is our strength. He is our stability. He is, um, he is the one who will, you know, perfect us and make us holy and whole and fulfilled. Uh, and even in sort of the chaos that was Corinth at the time that St. Paul was writing against, even in uh, whatever kind of state we're in now or in the future, it's clinging to Christ. It's clinging to the Lord, clinging to our Father, um, begging him for that grace to persevere, to remain with him. Uh, I think St. Paul's a great reminder for us, for us here. Yeah, that's right. There are 14 lines in this little reading. And St. Paul repeats the name Christ, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus, six times. It's like every other line, like Christ Jesus, the Lord, Christ Jesus, Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one (laughs) one, One could not miss the point of this excerpt. The the point Lord, the point is Christ. And in the Advent context, it's him who we wait for. And this is why Advent is more joyful than Lent, right? Lent is about saying bye-bye Jesus um, and thinking about, thinking about the suffering. Okay, Jesus is leaving the world. He's coming to die and remit our sins. Okay, but Advent is about waiting for Christ to come into our hearts, waiting for Christ to come into our lives um, in a deeper way. And for that reason, we can think about the different comings of Christ Jesus. We can think about his first coming, um, the incarnation. We can think about his coming in our hearts and we can think about his coming at the end of time. And these latter two comings um, have not yet happened. Christ will continue to come again to our hearts in new ways. And Christ will come at the end of time and manifest his glory. Uh, so if we're not thinking about Christ in Advent, we're doing it wrong. Mm. Father Patrick now speaking about being alert and waiting. It's a little spoiler for the, for the gospel. So let's uh, hear the gospel passage, which is taken from Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Be watchful, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore. You do not know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all. Watch. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Mark, where we're given or we're presented, or the the life of Christ is presented with a great sort of urgency throughout the entire Gospel. Um, if you look at how Mark writes and just the language he uses, um, the words he chooses to use, he's he's continually using the word and 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 to kind of convey like and then this happened and then this happened and then even if you look at the way in which Christ moves and the way in which physically like move from scene to scene, place to place, the way the disciples move. Everybody's on the move. Christ is always going here, there. I mean, Mark's gospel is shorter than, than the other three. So, so the scenes come on a little more quickly, but it's all aimed for Mark at, at Christ moving to his crucifixion at Christ moving to, to the, the great act of salvation. Um, 
and in these in these i don't know four verses from the gospel of mark mark repeats to us watch or be watchful four times uh it's almost in every line or in every sentence you can't miss it um four verses watch mark says four times um you know, it's, it's, as Father Patrick was saying uh, just a moment ago, it's, it's a matter of faith, of our faith, that we believe that Christ will come again. And we see this through, through the writings of St. Paul over and again. We recite it in the Creed every week at Mass. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And even in this first Sunday of Advent, in, in the preface that the priest prays um, just after you know, the offertory, after setting the altar, it speaks of the preface speaks of those two comings of Christ, his first coming in the lowliness of human flesh, it says, um, Christmas, of course, the nativity, but also his second coming when he comes again in glory and majesty, um, that, that coming for which we await. I think it's important in this, in this season of Advent to recall that Christ comes. He has, he has come to us in the incarnation, in, in Christmas, and Advent prepares us to receive him again in that way. But Advent also prepares us to receive him uh, in, his, in his second coming, in his glorious coming, when he comes to judge the living and the dead. And for that, we have to be ready, not just to see him come, but to be ready to, to have him come into our lives in such a way, um, to be judged and God willing to be found worthy and to, and to share with him um, in eternity. I think, though, it's important that we don't get trapped between two bookends of the nativity and the second coming and sort of what do we do in the in-between. Because the, the watch is, is not something, it's not a future command, but a command for us now. Not just to watch in the future, but to be on watch, to be prepared now to receive Christ who is also working in our lives now. So this, this time of Advent, this season, is a preparatory season to receive Christ in the incarnation, to receive him in his second coming, but also to receive him today, to grow closer with our Lord each day in that union, in that friendship, um, in, that, in that loving and intimate relationship. So that urgency is not, of, of Mark is not just something to be put off and, well, I'll get to it next Advent, or I'll get to it during Lent when I pick up my penitential practices again, but something to be watchful of every day every day of our lives, because our Lord is, is coming to us every day of our lives. One of the Advent themes, of course, is patience as we wait for the Lord's coming. And um, I hate myself for even saying this, but right now in the pandemic, we all need to be patient. Okay, I just like <laughs> barely managed to like bind my body enough to make my lips form those words. Um, because of every part of my being rebels against it, um, which means it's what I need to do. Uh, it's what I, it's what I need to pray for. It's what I need to, it's what I need to pursue because um, I, I, you know, part of why I loved Paul Claudel's line that the book, of the prophet Isaiah is an explosion is because uh, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just ready to watch everything blow up feeling so constrained and what the, what the Lord is, what the Lord is calling us to um, is to to patient renewal, and that's what the season of Advent allows—the um, kind of quiet reformation of heart, the the quiet waiting for, the quiet expectation of the Lord Jesus. Um, so that's where I'm at. Boom. Um, all right. Well, some final thoughts then on the gospel. Uh, as Father Jacob Bertrand highlighted, this idea of being watchful or being admonished to keep watch as a central theme of this 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, during which chapter 
the Lord spells doom for the temple, right, which is often taken or read as a description of the end of the world. It seems the Lord intended it to be interpreted just as such. Uh, so for us, it's, you know, it's just not, it's not simply about his coming at Christmas or his coming in our hearts, but also his coming at the end of time. And uh, whenever we introduce thoughts along those lines uh, in Corona Tide and in a pandemic season, it can be a little bit perilous, right? It's, it's fine to think about those things at a distance, but when you introduce them into your own heart of hearts, it's a really, you know, it's a scary thought that uh, all will be consumed in a great conflagration or something like that, right? Um, but I think here, again, to return to this theme that it's, uh, it's not we who exercise the causality or it is not we who are initiators, but, but God who initiates in us provides a great solace and a great comfort. And um, so the theme of the paper that I'm writing right now for, um, for graduate school is basically how what Christ does has an effect in what we do. So when Christ comes on the scene in the gospel, he's not just teaching us or he's not just, um, I don't know, like giving formal instruction as it were, but he's modeling life in such a way that it actually communicates to us the life that we are intended to live. So how does that apply in this context? Well, we're told to be watchful, to stay alert, to keep watch, etc. Well, the only reason for which we have the wherewithal to do such a thing is because God has kept watch for us. St. Thomas asked the question whether it would have made more sense for the Lord to come at the beginning of time, like right after Adam and Eve's sin. And he says, no, because we needed to appreciate his coming when it dawned upon us from on high. And he says, well, you know, after he comes, we have plenty of opportunities to fall away. Shouldn't he have deferred to the end of time? He says, no, because it's actually like the Lord's coming is a principle of perfection for us. What he introduces into the world actually becomes for us the very drive or the very impetus whereby we are conformed to him. So it's like the Lord was waiting. He came at the perfect time and he continues to wait on us, but his waiting is not a passive waiting. It's a waiting that draws us to us. So we have the resources. We have the grace to watch because he has watched for us and continues to watch for us. It's not like he's trying to catch us off guard, though some of the examples that he uses, some of the images that he deploys are kind of scary <laughs> if, if, if read or interpreted in that way. But rather, it's a, it's a watchfulness of mercy, right? It's a watchfulness that, that goes before us, uh, that comes after us, that fills up what is lacking in all of our deeds and accompanies us along the way. So for that, we are grateful. All right, with that, um, any thoughts, hopes, dreams, prayers, things to share from Providence or from Washington, D.C., Father Jacob Bertrand, anything that we should be aware of? Uh, not too much, actually. We're just kind of, because of coronavirus, Advent is quiet for us, which is um, kind of a beautiful thing. So perhaps perhaps that's a blessing of, of, the, of Advent during the pandemic that um, even though Christmas parties and all the rest, Advent parties, whatever you call them, might be... <laughs> might be what we prefer to do this might be a a time to kind of to settle into the season a bit more to spend a little more time in prayer um i don't know maybe trying to find find the light in in what could otherwise well, you be really a, sold a me there. impressive way that was that was very convicting uh, i believe it well, maybe i don't know oh, patrick you're a brat sometimes i was I sold <laughs> thank you um i do have an announcement though i'm ready a cool thing um so, uh, as some of you know, I'm an editor over at the Catholic News and Spirituality site, Alatea, and this Advent, we're releasing an app, and it's a very handsome thing, um, and it's a much better user experience than the website. I love that word, handsome. You're gonna give I me, know that you love you, it. You're gonna make some, it's a great word. I'm for you. I am not against you. <laughs> it's a handsome app. <laughs> um, 
And it affords actually, you know, much better user experience than some of the website. Like the slideshows are no longer annoying. They're they're really beautiful to look at, for example. Uh, But anyway, one of the things that we're doing in Alatea is we have a daily advent um, notification, which has a little reflection on the readings for the day and um, a kind of call to action and a a daily resolution to help people enter into the season. So it's totally free. Um, Download the app. Um, You can find it in the app store or on our website, Alatea, A-E-L, A, darn it, uh, a-L-E-T-E-I-A dot org. <laughs> Thanks. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hey, I introduced an episode a couple of weeks ago, um, and I introduced myself as Father Gregory Prime, um, <laughs> which is like a that. combo of me and Optimus Prime. So it was my like transformer alter ego. So I have yeah, no that's great. leg to stand on. Yeah. Um, great. So God's planning wise, uh, we're, we're gearing up for new year, new look. Uh, we're going to have new bumpers and uh, we've launched a new website godsplaining.org, uh, which has a fresh look, and you'll see that there are some new features available there as we continue to build it out. So stay tuned as we have some merchandise available like stickers uh, and shirts and things of such like. And also we put up a Patreon page. Uh, so if you are um, willing and able to support the podcast by a small donation, we greatly appreciate that. And that money kind of goes to these types of things. So to getting better recording equipment and better cameras, so that way it's a little less dark agey. Um, and then to paying someone to help us with editing it, because um, while we are somewhat good at those things, we're not especially good at those things. Nope, never mind. Father Father Jacob Bertrand is excellent at everything. Um, I'm right. bad at them. Right. Um, so as a result of which, we've employed some help, and uh, we we love it if you could help support that. He uses help twice in a sentence. A grave error. I hope that you pardon me. So during this Advent season, we're praying for you. Ask that you pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.